Art Boost podcast. My name is Morris Lordani. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm back with my three best pals. We've got Angela Christian Milk, Simple Lewis, and Harrington. If that makes no sense to you, you need to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Far Post Pod. It'll be really funny once you go check it. So off you go. But um, no, we're back to chat more women's football this week. It's uh, been a big week. So let's crack straight into some you love to see it. Anna, what did you love to see this weekend? I'm, I'm still flat that all I cop was Harrington. Like, <laughs> how boring. <laughs> but what I actually love to see was our gal, Sam Kerr, we backed her in all along, continuing to do the thing for Chelsea. Um, if you were living under a rock, maybe you didn't know this, but um, our Sammy scored a belter of a hat-trick for Chelsea in their League Cup, or Conti Cup, as you were, uh, win over Bristol City. Um, they absolutely punished them 6-0. And, yeah, Franco was a star, but it was uh, our Sam that made all the headlines here because she scored three, and after the second one, she pulled out the backflip. Um, been a while since we'd seen it, and she said her Chelsea teammates have been absolutely clamouring for it. Um, and she did it. She did the flip. She did the thing. You love to see it. You so love to see it. I also like, I can imagine in her head, she was like, do I pull it out now after the second one? What about if I don't score again? Like I need to pull it out. Like I'm just imagining the kind of mental process she went through to make that decision, but it was good. It was excellent. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Conti Cup later in the pod. Angela, what did you love to see this weekend? Yeah, Michelle Heyman becoming the top scorer of all time in the W League, that's what I love to see. Um, not only did she just, so she went from 70 to 71 to get to break the record in um, the Canberra-Perth match, but then she just have, she got another one. So now she's in 72, which is fantastic. Um, and, yeah, so good to see. And you just as soon as it happened, so the first goal, um, how do I describe it? So Lily Alfield did really well, so it looked like it, Michelle Heyman was going to turn around her and just, you know, do a little tap in. And Lily Alfield got down and managed to get her body into it. Um, but then the ball was still, you know, floating around. And I think that was nicer because then Michelle Heyman's finish when she had that second chance was like spectacular. It just like soared in so beautifully. Um, and I imagine the thought process as she watched it was like, I don't know, would she have been thinking about it? I'm not sure. But as soon as that happened, everyone was just celebrating and going wild. And she like, high-fived all the coaching staff and you know waved at the crowd it was just a beautiful time so anyway sorry I'm rambling but I love to see that and the second goal as well was like peak dub I think we'll get to that later but it you know it was the won the game for Canberra in really strange circumstances incredibly weird but yes you love to see it Michelle Heyman becoming the top scorer of the W League for all time so good Heyman watch we've only gone and done it I went and checked back so it was literally our very first episode Angela you said there's been big news in the dub Michelle Heyman's thinking about coming back to the W League and now we're here so it's like beautiful little storyline there Sam what did you love to see this weekend we're all sticking with our brands for you love to see it this week. So my brand was absolutely red hot this past round in the W League. There were uh, eight goals scored by players 
under the age of 23. And some of them were absolute bangers. We saw a brace to Briley Henry, the 17 year old from Western Sydney and her 20 year old teammate, Rosie Galea came on in the, I think the 70th minute and scored two complete crackers in their four nil win over uh, Melbourne City. We saw Perth's Caitlin Douglas get her first goal of the season. We saw Nikki Flannery on the score sheet again in that insane Perth-Canberra game. And we saw Adelaide's Chelsea Dorber uh, as well get two goals for Adelaide. And on top of that, Claire Wheeler, Claxon. Claire Wheeler was nominated for the PFA's Player of the Month uh, award as well. So, yeah, and just like all, all of my, all the things that I love, the Venn diagrams of all of my interests in one perfect circle this round, you love to see it. Everything's coming up, Sam. Yeah. It really is coming up, Sam. It was a big weekend for your brand, but I'm glad you mentioned the, the goals, especially to the Wanderers girls, because that's where we'll start our W League chats. It was a 4-0 win to Western Sydney over Melbourne City. They finally got down to Dandenong, so it was lovely that they finally made the move down to the southeast, but it was probably not the result that they were hoping for. Sam, I'll stick with you because you've already started the chat. What did you make of that game and of the two teams' performances? I thought it was Western Sydney's best performance of the season by quite a way. They were so impressive across the entire field. And I realised, you know, they were coming up against a Melbourne City side who we've talked about repeatedly are not great this season. Um, but like, like, you know, Western Sydney, they have sort of been improving over the last couple of weeks in small ways. Um, but I think this was the performance that Western Sydney have been building towards for maybe the last month to six weeks. Um, I thought that their game plan was executed perfectly. I think that having those really fast wide players uh, in order to capitalize on the sort of the, 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 the slowness of the, te the tediousness of, of some of Melbourne City's defenders, I think was a stroke of genius. Um, I loved seeing Briley Henry finally get the goals that she has been uh, in the position to score for the last month, but some she's like the ball just hasn't wanted to do the thing that she has wanted it to do. Um, she was in the perfect position a number of times to score those goals. And I like it just felt like the Wanderers were so commanding. They they pressed really well, they held the ball really well, they moved it around really well. Um, and they locked down all of Melbourne City's most important and most influential players. So, yeah, I, I was so impressed by that performance. But then, you know, again, we saw Melbourne City respond to that 4-0 loss only a couple of days later in a win against Newcastle. Uh, and we saw that Newcastle also beat Western Sydney 4-0. So, like, it's, it's, it's I don't, I don't want to say peak dub, but this is like, it's getting into chaos areas, you know? You'd have to think... Um, that centre-back pairing of Emma Checker and Jenna McCormick pretty disappointed with how some of those goals were scored. Um, the one that stands out for me is, I think it's the first one for Henry where Checker just gets bodied by Tegan Collister. Um, I think athleticism and strength, on, especially on the ball, is something that Checker has always been known for. Like She has generally been good in terms of her positioning and is quite a brave player and isn't afraid to use her body and just sort of got beaten in that respect and I think both of them as quite experienced players that are you know in and around the Matilda squad it's clearly been a frustrating season um I think both of them would probably be quite frustrated with how their respective seasons have played out and now che I know Czech is coming back from an injury and 
Jenna's had a bit of a rough run in terms of concussions and some knocks here and there, but I feel like both players would have really liked this season as an opportunity to get a really good run of games, really um, make their mark as senior players and I guess sort of consolidate some really good form that they've been showing. Um, and I know that their defence has really been exposed at, at times because just the quality in front of them is not there like it was last season. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how both of those players would evaluate their respective seasons having come back from, I guess, difficult stints in Europe for different reasons because they've probably not hit the heights that I think they would have liked to. Yeah, just bouncing off that, Harrow, like Jenna McCormick doesn't seem like the kind of defender that we know she can be, the kind of defender that we saw at Adelaide, the kind of defender that uh, we saw at Victory. She seems to be carrying a pretty serious injury. Um, something is going on with her knee that is not good. And it's something that seems to have been sort of um, de- debilitating for quite some weeks now. Uh, we saw her go off early against Newcastle Jets um, because of it as well. And yeah, I mean, it just sort of feels like the two of them, because they are so, such experienced players, they do sort of feel obligated to stay in the starting 11 and try to guide these young players, particularly a young defender like Naomi Chinema, who has had to be brought in because they basically have no one else. And to her credit, she I thought she was excellent against Newcastle. So she's really, um, I think, coming a long way in terms of being thrown into the deep end with this side. Uh, but yeah, it just sort of feels like the two centre-backs have almost checked out. You know, some of the defending uh, against the Wanderers I thought was really sloppy and a little bit lazy. Um, like the, the Amacheka one, I think, was a good example there, Harrow. But, you know, just allowing players to get in front of you, it's like young players, players who could, you know, you could push over with a, you know, a strong arm. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what's going on. I, I wouldn't blame them if they have checked out because, you know, they can't win anything. Um, but hopefully it means that they aren't, um, threatening their Matilda's chances because again, like Tony Gustafsson is watching these games and he's going to be picking a squad to go to the Olympics in a couple of months' time. And if they're not giving it the kind of attention and energy that he's wanting from them, then we might not actually see them there at all. Well, for mine, Laura Brock was the favourite to go anyway and should have been one because I rate her super highly and she can't. She's come off couple of ripping W League seasons for victory. Looked really good at Matilda's level before copping that um, foot injury and has since gone over to France, playing every week, doing really well. <clears throat> for me, that put her ahead of the other two in the pecking order anyway. Plus, she has so much more experience. Um, but, yeah, I, I do feel for both those players because clearly they've both been affected by whether it's niggles or whether it's for checker a limited lead-in. Like, you can't really underestimate the lack of things like pre-season. Um, and it is tough because City lost Chelsea Blissett before the season to that ACL. Um, you mentioned Chinema, Sam Johnson's not really hit her straps. Like you feel like these players, are, it's maybe a bit of keep on keeping on. Um, I guess you hope it doesn't cost them in terms of prolonged injury issues. Um, maybe for someone like Checker, it's good that she's just got games under her belt. And I'm sure um, Jenna would probably say the same because that's what they both needed after their stints in Europe. But, yeah, I guess it's just not gone to plan and that's probably a fair summary of City in general. But I suppose, like, first of all, not being able to win anything at this point in the season doesn't seem to be affecting their opposition. Like, Wanderers 
are like so energetic and dynamic right now, even though they're out of the finals race. Same with Jets, maybe not so much um, in Sunday's performance, but they're still bringing something to the table and still have their heads up to a degree. So, but I, I do wonder as well, if you, if there is an ongoing injury issue and they aren't going to make finals, surely you would just play it a little bit more conservatively and make sure that you're preserving, yeah, those key core players. Like surely someone like um, TJ Vlanich could drop into that back line. I feel like she has the experience and the leadership to step up there and she's been having a great season um, as like out on the wings. I think she's like been rating her really highly. But yeah, if there is an ongoing issue there, my question would be about the player management um, from higher up as well. Yeah, poor, poor Jenna. She hasn't had a, a great run, especially with the head knock as well earlier in the season. So yeah, sympathies are there. But yeah, at the same time, so I think it was like that first goal for the Wanderers match. It was just like sloppy. She, I think she was the one who turned the ball over with like sloppy, a sloppy touch and then Wanderers pounced. So yeah, it's hard. Uh, I think... We'll, we'll wrap up the Western Sydney game and then we'll move on to the other uh, City game that they played this week and just while we're in the vicinity. But I did want to note that that was Western Sydney's first win in Victoria in like 12 attempts, which blew my tiny mind as a stat. So What a state it, Victoria is, Marissa. <laughs> just the good place. Like, you know, you, you know, if you know, you know, and if you don't agree, you're from Sydney and you're wrong. It doesn't matter. Anyway. We'll talk a little bit about City's other performance this weekend. They lost 4-0 on the Thursday night, but turned it around and had a 1-0 victory over the Jets on Sunday. Angela and I went down to Kingston Heath. What was your experience like at Kingston Heath on that fine Sunday, Angela? Oh, I had a lovely time. Got to go to the dub with my friend. There was um, the canteen was was going off. They had bevies and chippies and... Um, Suvalaki, but I'm selectitarian, so I didn't have any of that. But anyway, yes. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I felt like it was a great little venue. Um, I don't know how like operations and logistics work. I wouldn't be averse to going there again. Um, had, a, had a good time. Wasn't the most interesting game. I think, I don't know. But that's all right. I feel like City, but City definitely perked up and there was a lot of great, from where we were sitting, a lot of great chances. I think Riley Dobson did really well. She was creating a lot and a lot of really dangerous balls across the goal that City just weren't getting anyone onto. I think the scoreline could have actually been higher and they could have punished Newcastle more. Um, And yeah, I'm happy to see Kira score as well, even though it wasn't, yeah, wasn't the, the most beautiful goal sort of bundled over the line there but yeah um I think good good for City and they definitely sharpened up defensively as well I think um and they were all over the place there not all over the place in a bad way like in an organized way anyway Angela I have a big question about Kingston Heath where I spent many a freezing cold Monday night covering NPLW back in the day Mm -hmm. how's the feed the feed yeah good the chip, really good, like the chips, excellent. Really, really nice texture, nice crunch on the outside, well salted, reasonably priced as well, I would say. Double thumbs up from me. And a range of bevies on offer as well, um, which is good as well. Um, th- that's what people listen to this podcast for, right? Grab at the dub. 
Um, I did have another thought in my brain. Oh yeah, the airplanes. The airplanes are real cute. And if you're looking in a particular direction, you can just see all these like little planes fly into Moorabbin Airport, um, which I enjoyed. I mean, I thought Newcastle were pretty disappointing. Um, is it like, is it just me? I feel like they are, they, they could have and perhaps should have done so much better this season than what they've done. You know, they, they looked so, so promising at, at the start, but they just haven't, I don't know what it is. They just haven't kicked on. They have, but, they, but their performances have been largely solid. But is the reason that I think that because I'm looking at them in the context of previous seasons where they haven't really had the kind of solidity, particularly in midfield that they've been displaying this season? Like, is that, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm yeah, like I'm, I'm really disappointed for Newcastle. I feel like of all the games, perhaps far Perth, that they could have got something out of, this would have been, this would have been it. But again, as was mentioned, I thought Melbourne City tidied up their defence pretty well uh, from the game against the Wanderers and Tara Andrews barely touched the ball, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, Melbourne City's midfield I thought was excellent as well. Chidiak and Kira are an amazing combination in there. They're basically the only things keeping the only players that are keeping Melbourne City alive at the moment. Tori Chiamath, I thought, grew into the game really well as well. It's probably one of her best that she's played on that sort of fullback role. She had the assist for Kira's goal and she had a number of those long sort of crossfield balls that were aimed at her deliberately, I think. That was part of the plan. Um, Alex Chidiak continues to be incredible. I think she's brought, like, this. I have no stats to back this up, but I'd be curious to see if she is the most fouled player in the W League because she seems to get hit in the shins quite a lot every game um I don't know if they collect those kinds of stats but I'd be really interested to see if that's a thing but yeah I'm I'm disappointed for, for Newcastle I think yeah City City were, were good for the win um it's yeah but it was just as you said Angela like it was just bleh, yeah yeah well I think if given we criticize Checker and McCormick for the previous performance I think it is worth mentioning that they've absolutely kept Tara Andrews to zilch given we know what impact she has you let her get away for a second you let you drop your concentration you lose touch and all of a sudden she's got the ball in the back of the net so that's really well done by those two centre-backs against a quality opponent um, and an opponent that probably really suits a player like like Jenna who is so good at using her body um, and the the two of them are you know have clearly been trying to grow a partnership so that's a bit of a feather in the cap for that city defence in terms of Newcastle, Sam, I wonder if it's a matter of just young teams can be inconsistent. They show flashes. And when you see the flashes, you think, oh, this team could be so good. They could achieve so many things. But unfortunately, that level is not always going to be there. So you, ex- you experience the high. And then because of that inconsistency, you see a massive drop-off. And unfortunately, the drop-off can come on days against teams maybe like a city who you'd expect them to beat. And then on other days, they really play up for sort of 40 minutes against Melbourne victory and really make them have a bit of a thinker against Sydney FC. So you get these like different expectations when the reality probably is they're about where they should be. Like they, they have their moments and then they have some really disappointing ones as well. And I think that's probably the, the frustrating, but also I guess understandable thing for a coach like Ash Wilson to deal with is these young, especially the young players, they're still learning to play together. They lost a lot of good cattle over the off season. Your fave, Claire Wheeler, uh, Tegan Collister. 
Libby Copas-Brown, just to mention a few names who have all, I guess, had impacts at their new clubs. But if they were at Newcastle, they'd clearly be amongst their better players. So, yeah, I think it's just a bit of that inconsistency that you can see with young teams. Um, they're just going to be up and down and it's going to be frustrating. But I guess the key for them now is to, to learn from this season and level things out a bit more next season. Kick on from there. So that was kind of City's weekend and the Wanderers and the Jets thrown in there. So let's move on to, I think, the most chaotic game of the season. I don't think that's an exaggeration, or at least of the round. It was bonkers. So Canberra beat Perth 3-2. Absolute insanity. Angela, you already mentioned Heyman Watch, but try attempt to sum up the chaos that was that game in like a couple sentences. Okay. So Canberra score, Perth draw with a banger. Canberra score, Perth draw with a banger. We're at 87 minutes. And then Michelle Heyman gets knocked down and it's a pen. And you think it would go in, but it doesn't go in. And then like literally the next minute, there's another pen. And you're like, okay, Kendall, you got it. Get it together. You've got this one. It's got to go in. Doesn't go in. In fact, it's even worse than the first one. Like, anyway, anyway. And so you're watching and you're thinking, okay, it's, it's a draw. It's over. And then Michelle Heyman scores and Canberra win in the dying moments of the game. Oh, I forgot. And then Sarah Sarah Carroll was also given a red card for the handball on the second pen. It was so there was like, yeah, two pens, red card, and a winning goal, all in the space of five minutes. I'm exhausted. I'm just I'm I'm exhausted in a good way, in a good way. But like, I'm exhausted. That was a lot of staccato sentences. I think. Sorry, I didn't follow the brief. I like the rhythm. Slam. It was good. No, it yeah, no, it I was literally about to say it. Like it, it really emphasized the, the, the sort of the growing intensity and the, and the, the, like the heartbeat of things that were happening towards the end of the game. Like that was, yeah, it was a nice summary. Um, that game Sorry. was. <laughs> For myself. I feel like in a previous episode, we talked about a game, I think also involving Perth which we sort of categorised as like the mini-match of the W League season where it had absolutely everything that you could ask for and everything that we have seen in the W League, including broadcast issues, all that sort of shit, in the one game. I feel like this game did almost exactly the same thing bar the broadcast issues, so thank God for that. But it was just crazy and it was so exciting. This is the stuff that we watch it for you know like Michelle Heyman scoring the winning goal in the 95th minute after two ridiculous equalizers both of which could probably be goal of the season contenders Michelle Heyman becoming the all-time leading goal scorer of the W League off the back of that chipped goal which she just swiveled on and hit and hoped and it was like it fell into the goal in slow motion because the universe just wanted all of us to appreciate this moment for a little bit longer than what we usually would. It was just amazing. Like I, I, that game I think is going to be burned into my brain for the rest of my life because it, it just said everything that we love about the W League in the space of 95 minutes. 
Sam, I loved your tweet about the Heyman goal, like that, of course, the record breaker, like, of, co- of course, it had to be a banger. Of course, it had to be a great goal. It couldn't just be a tap in or a penalty or anything like that. It, it, it had to be a goal that when you look at the highlight of this moment, everyone goes, fuck yeah, that should be the record breaking goal. Like, what a banger. A goal um, worthy of remembering. Exactly. It's amazing. Like, just such a, a brilliant goal. And I think what was so great about both of those goals, but especially that one, was it wasn't the sort of goal that you know Heyman for. Like, I think what we would have expected was for her to, to round Olfeld and score because just getting on the break is a very Michelle Heyman sort of goal. But the recovery and the way she's just picked it out and the execution just very different to most of her goals. Um, but it was just so special. And, yeah, it, it was fantastic. Also, like, she was very un- unselfish and did really well to set up Nikki Flannery for the first one as well, which um, I think has been a really nice part of Canberra's attack this year is the way they've all gelled and sort of the rejuvenation um, of Nikki Flannery as well as a player. And the fact that Heyman was just involved in all of those moments, plus the first penalty that Fletcher went on to miss, she won as well. So it really was the Michelle Heyman game. Sam, you were chief Perth pumper in pre-season and we know they've had such a difficult time. I don't think we need to retread over all the difficulties Perth have had this season. Um, I think largely despite some of the difficulties they've I guess been disappointing in some games where you expect them to pick up results or expect them to be a bit more competitive. But this game, they really took it up to a team that has finals on the line. Like Canberra beat Brisbane the week before. They are well and truly still in the hunt for a top four spot. And Perth, to be honest, didn't take a backwards step. Um, Is this more of what you wanted to see from Perth Glory? Like more like what you wanted to see? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I, I think this Perth team, very similar to the Wanderers and similar to Melbourne City, every week that they get together is a week that they get better. Um, they're, and the, maybe it's just something about Canberra as well. Like the only other point that Perth have got this season was against Canberra earlier in the season in a one-all draw. Um, and historically, this matchup has been kind of wild. Like there were two games in the 2019-20 season or maybe the season previous where there were two four-all draws like there was Sam Kerr hat trick, like it was a whole thing. Um, so I don't know, maybe this could sort of turn out to be its own little derby in some ways. But yeah, I mean, I, I you're right, Harry. I think that this is probably the kind of performance that Perth were expecting of themselves. Um, they were finally able to address the problem of where their goals could come from in the absence of Gemma Crane. Um, you know, we know that Hannah Lowry can score them, but she can't be really relied upon that sort of poor little 17-year-old in midfield trying to do what she can. Uh, but we saw Caitlin Douglas step up. We saw Katarina Jukic finally getting a, a proper go at it and, and scoring a banger. Wasn't a Rabona, but that's fine. We'll forgive her. Uh, she just scored from like 40 yards. That's fine. Um, yeah, and, and they and I think defensively they were they were quite resolute as well. Like Canberra really had to work for that in in a lot of ways. They kept they kept them relatively quiet. Um, uh, yeah, but again, like that's what can you sort of 
what more conclusions can we draw from Perth's season that we haven't already drawn as a result of all the shit that they've had to go through? You know, it's great. It's it's really good that they pushed Canberra to to two all at ninety minutes, considering everything that they've gone through. I think that that's that's commendable. Just just an aside, um, I loved listening to Grace Gill on commentary for this game because you could tell that she was like, so I think once Perth equalised, there was sort of like not angry and disappointed vibes um but you know insightful as well um speaking facts and then when Michelle Heyman scored that last goal you could tell that she was like absolutely thrilled but just like push it down push it down (laughs) like keep it professional but I was still cute I liked that um it must have been a huge moment for her to see Michelle Heyman get that third goal on the match winner and also break the record as well so what a what a great game to have been commentating for Grace Gill it was just an absolutely awesome game. And I feel like just on like Perth's goal scoring, they've only scored six this season, but I'm pretty sure they've all been bangers. So like you, you win some, you lose some, you score some bangers, but you don't score many. It's all kind of uh, relative. But um, we'll continue on. There was another game on Friday night. We kind of had to, we had a little hour break and it was not long enough to recover from that Canberra-Perth game. But um, we had to then watch Brisbane defeat Adelaide 4-2. It was the Emily Gilnick show. She was absolutely on fire. She's been killing it all season, but, you know, she showed it once again. Harry, what did you make of this game? Yeah, Emily Gilnick hat-trick. All you need to know. Like we, um, at the start of the season, when she was a bit slow to sort of bounce into games, was missing shots, missing chances. We were sort of querying whether she was just focusing on the wrong things in her game. And it feels like she's got back to the sort of player we know she can be and better. I'm wrapped because I tipped her for golden boot. um, So I feel very smart about it. Um, But yeah just a, a fantastic player. And when she's up and about, she's so hard to stop. Like she's got that blistering pace. She can score goals on both feet. Um, we've seen even a couple of times this season. And it sounds strange because she's so tall, but she's actually been an aerial threat in terms of heading goals at times, um, which is something that she probably would have wanted to round out her game a bit with. I think for poor old Adelaide, it was a little bit of a reality check. Um, we know that Chelsea Dorber scored those couple of goals, which is great. I think she's probably had a season that's gone under the radar a little bit um, because we've had so many great goal scorers, but she's managed to deliver relatively consistently, which is quite difficult for young forwards to do. Um, but Brisbane just are a force. Like when they get up and about on the move, they would have been absolutely stinging after that Canberra loss too. So I kind of felt for Adelaide in that sense. Like they were just going to cop whatever rough um, Brisbane dished out. And I don't think there was too much they could do about it. Um, but yeah, for, for me, it's just, it's just all Gilnick. Like she's got better and better. Um, as I said earlier, I think we were a bit worried when she sort of stuttered into the season off the back of a couple of quarantine stints and um, struggled to sort of find her groove. But now she's really settled and genuinely looks like the difference. And of course, Mario Hecker scored the first goal. Um, given she missed a sit of the week before, I imagine that would have taken a little bit of weight off her own shoulders. Um, and from there, they really just kicked on. And I, I know um, that Dorba scored one late, but probably 4-1 would have probably been a bit more reflective of things than 4-2. I was really impressed with Isabel Dalton. 
I think she's another player who's really flown under the radar for Brisbane this season and and across the W League this season. I think she's now in the lead for assists across the whole league. Um, she's had a sort of a funny career trajectory. I think some people might remember that she was in Italy for a bit with Napoli. Uh, didn't really kick on there. Sort of had bits and bobs overseas, but has come back and is really firing like to the point where I'm like, is she actually maybe an, a, a shout for the Olympics squad? Like she's looking really, really impressive and really consistent, which is, I think, something that she has needed personally after all these weird stints abroad where she hasn't really been getting game time. Um, her chemistry, I think, with the other midfielders and with Gilnick is growing week by week. And she's still only relatively young. She's only 23 years old. Uh, she went through the university system. So, yeah, I mean, she, she's, she's really impressed me. And you're right, Harry, like, I don't know what more we can say about this Brisbane Raw side. Like, when they, when they click, they click. And it is almost impossible to stop them. Uh, and I think that was, you know, the, this game against Adelaide, I think, was the best example of that because I think Adelaide's defence have probably been perhaps the best in the league. Um, outside of maybe Melbourne victory. But... Yeah, I, I mean, the, the change maker there is Gilnick. It's like she is just a cut above the rest. And I'd be really shocked if she isn't able to leverage this season with Brisbane to get another move abroad. I think she deserves it. But it'll be interesting to see what she does. Because Sam, I agree, like going back overseas is a logical move for her. It seems like she's maybe, I guess, recentered herself in Brisbane, been happy, enjoyed her football after really enjoying her football in Sweden as well. We know she's a confidence player, um, just probably the, the biggest confidence player in the Matildas, probably. Like when she's up and running, she probably feels she's pretty unstoppable. But when she's down, you sort of see that the head drop a bit. Um, but she does have a great work rate and she's shown all the different things she can do at Brisbane. I think she's played a lot more like a striker rather than an out and out winger this season, which I think has been really exciting in terms of her developing her game and in terms of playing in different systems potentially going forward. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to see her kick on and get another move overseas. And I think that's something that is relevant to a lot of our players. I guess Gilnick, um, McCormick, um, Alex Chidiak, all these players who you'd think would want to go back overseas again at some point or have said they want to go back overseas at some point in the case of Chidiak and um, Jenna. It'll be about how they pick the team. It's something that comes up in the men's game a lot in terms of how selective you are with your move overseas, making it the right time, going to a league that works for you. And that's something that Tony Gustafsson said as well in his most recent press conference. He wants his players playing where works for them, where they get the best out of themselves. And I'll be, in terms of the, the bigger picture with Matildas and development and that sort of thing, I'll be interested to see where players like Gilnick, for example, go next. It's, it's exciting. And for Brisbane Raw... I mean, how lucky can you get that players just like that's decided to come home and has absolutely hit her straps and is really the difference maker, as you said, Sam, for this team at the moment. I think on that as well. So, for example, Chids and McCormick, they made the move, um, maybe made some decisions that weren't right for them at that time, but now they probably have that insight to, yeah, as you say, Harry, just make a really incisive and smart um sign in for a, a club overseas if and I, I hope and I assume that they'll they'll get offers but yeah 
um, must be liberating to be able to have that second chance as well to, to do Europe and, and do it well. But we'll see. I don't know. I'm very excited. I'm, all, I'm already sort of like, can it be sort of next dub already so we can see all these players that are doing really well this season or all the new narratives and all that stuff. And then, then I remember there's a whole bunch of football to be had to be played in the middle of the year. Ah, what a good time. Just on Adelaide guys, are they going to Adelaide it again? I'm worried. Better, I'm worried. They better <laughs> fucking not. Oh, I'll be so annoyed. That might be Canberra missing out then Angela, from your perspective. Because for me, victory are in the box seat. Um, They've got two games against Perth and they've obviously got the game against Sydney FC in the middle of that. But they've got three games. I think they're only a a point off. Like, they they should qualify for finals. So for me, Canberra have two games left and Adelaide have one. It's uh, it's looking very, very testy, this race to the finals. Um, Sorry. I mean, who's making it? I just blacked out. I, I don't know what you said. So um. <laughs> what were we talking about? I, 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 oh, I don't want to say, I don't want to jinx it. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to have an, I don't want to think about it too hard because don't. I'm, I'm worried that you're right. I'm worried. I'm really worried. I don't want them to do it. Like I don't, the thing that worried me when Dylan Holmes signed for the club in Sweden was that their whole midfield would collapse and that would be the end of their season. But their even in the loss to Brisbane, I thought that their midfield held up relatively well. I thought bringing Kalia Hogg in uh, to fill that Dylan Holmes role was quite good, but Dylan Holmes offered such a threat going forward. And I don't think Hogg does that. And so that's, I think going to be the question that Adelaide need to answer in the next game. They need to put a whole bunch of goals into that net and then hope that other results go their way, which is never the way that you want to get into finals, but it is absolutely the way that we want to watch the run-up to finals as a fan. So I'm on board with it for the drama of that. Well, there's no excuse for the good people of Adelaide to turn out for that game at Cooper's Stadium. Like against the Wanderers, free tickets and tickets have all been paid for by a sponsor this is the game that will effectively decide if they make finals. I mean, they still might not. You hope that's not the case, but <laughs> like they have to win, essentially. Wanderers are up and about. Um, they've come off a really good win. Adelaide have to win that game. Victory are in the box seat to qualify for finals. Canberra have regained a bit of form and I know that they're going to be playing Sydney FC like there's so much at at stake like Sydney FC can wrap up the plate or you know a victory can even Brisbane or victory even can just run over the top and pinch it like there's so much at stake and if you're Adelaide you ultimately just got to get that win like it doesn't matter where you finish in that final four you just have to get there like because I just would really feel for that playing group if they can't get over the line because you sense that this is the year where they they really deserve to get it right. How fun's the W League, guys? It's definitely not stressful or anxiety-inducing. Or I'm tired. Like you know, I'm tired thinking about it all, you know. Um, I was, like, just looking up the time for that Adelaide game and I was like, might be, might be nice for a little cheeky road trip to Adelaide and then I realised I have tickets to a movie. 
You can't go. <laughs> Where's the commitment, Angela? Come on. Anyway. Um, for the record, I just want to say I really hope Adelaide get in and I would be willing to sacrifice a Canberra or a victory spot for Adelaide to get into the finals. Um, but in saying that, I probably just jinxed them. So are we are we okay taking responsibility for when Adelaide fall out of the top four? Because that's on us now. No, I don't think so, because we haven't been saying they're deaf actually, Sam, you have. I this have. is the season they're going to make. So it's kind of all on you. <laughs> I've been pessimistic the whole time from the season preview onwards. Um, so they, it's on them to prove me wrong. I thought they'd get close and fall short. And I really hope that's not the case. I'd love to see them um, make that top four because I, I genuinely think they've been one of the best teams to watch all season. Um, and they've turned in some amazing performances. And I think they'd be a real threat um come finals so oh Adelaide doing the thing do the thing do the thing we believe in you we asked for chaos and we're getting chaos so really you know no sympathy for you know being tired because of the chaos um so it was a big round of W League and there's another big round coming up it's round 13 which is the second last round of the season moment of silence for the for the shortness of the dub but I um, know we've got lots of big games coming up so we kick things off Friday night Perth te- uh, taking on Melbourne City uh, Saturday we've got Newcastle v Canberra and Sydney v Melbourne victory which should be very tasty in terms of uh, finals ramifications and whatnot and then as Harry mentioned the big game on Sunday Adelaide taking on Western Sydney hopefully there's a really big crowd there as she mentioned all the tickets are free. If you are listening from Adelaide, get around it, get to Cooper's. You have no excuse. Um, we have some other games coming up towards the back end of this month after the Champions League round of 16 was won and done. We now have the quarterfinal draw and the setup for the semifinals. So Samka's Chelsea will be taking on Wolfsburg, which is tasty. But to be fair, all the clashes are tasty, like there's only four left. Uh, and Ellie Carpenter's Lyon will be taking on the winner of PSG v Sparta Prague. At the moment, PSG are leading that tie 5-0. So you can pretty safely say that it's going to be an all-French quarterfinal. Um, the two Aussies have avoided each other in terms of the draw. So the winner of Chelsea Wolfsburg will be playing the winner of Bayern v Rosengar, which is a Swedish team. So that'll be interesting. And then the Lyon uh, tie is on the same side as Barca Man City. So there are heaps of good games coming up in the Champions League. It's the best teams literally in the world. So get around it. We'll obviously share more details as those games get a bit closer. But um, there was another game on this weekend that, as we alluded to in the You Love to See It, it was a big one. It was a big one for us. It was a big one for the brand. It was the Conti Cup final. Chelsea was 6-0 winners over Bristol City. And it was just, we talked a lot about Sam Kerr, but I think Frank Kirby really was the star of the show here. Like, who would like to gush over Frank Kirby first? Because I feel like we've all got some some loving feelings towards her from this game. Frank Kirby's just come off signing a contract extension with Chelsea. Some players drop off after signing contract extensions. She just goes to another level. Like, six goals, she has four assists and scores the other two. Like, like in what world does a player do that? 
<laughs> like I know it's not like they were playing um, say Manchester City or like if they're in the Champions League against Leon, like Bristol had a really rough day out, but it's pretty hard to come up with answers for some of the stuff that Fran Kirby can do on the pitch and her combination with Sam Kerr in particular, like just we, I don't even know where to go with this guys. Like we've talked about her so much on this podcast and what a, I guess we've seen her deliver in big games in season and then there's delivering in finals and what better way to show what sort of big game player you are than what Frank Kirby did. Like she can create assists from anywhere. She can score in any manner of play. You can play it pretty much anywhere across a forward setup. You can play her as a creative midfielder and, to be honest, like we look at Chelsea and you've got Sam Kerr scoring a hat-trick and you've got Peniel Harder on the field and you've got so many good players and just the way that Frank Kirby has outshone them all this season quite simply has to be seen to be believed. It's a credit to her. It's a credit to Emma Hayes and her belief in her. It's a credit to her teammates. Like, once again, it's like, it's Frank Kirby's world. We're all just living in it and watching her dominate and... I just don't think there's any way to stop her at the moment. <laughs> Sam, you tuned into the, um, the game and you're, you've been a massive Fran Kirby fan all year. You've been pumping her up for player of the year, which I agree with completely. I mean, what did you make of just some of the work she did for these girls? Yeah, I, I am a number one Fran girl. She, like Fran Kirby is a remarkable story. She is a remarkable footballer. She is a remarkable human being. Considering a year ago, she was considering retiring completely from the game because she was suffering a debilitating illness that saw her sleeping sometimes for 18 hours a day, that she lost her mother in such devastating circumstances. But she has able, been able to come back and be effectively the heartbeat of a team that is studded with superstars. You know, I, I, I think about this Chelsea team in different kinds of ways because the way that Emma Hayes has put, the, put them together, you have all of these incredible players who in any other team really would be the player that you build the team around. We have a Sam Kerr, we have a Peniel Harder. We've seen what it looks like when those players are at the centre of a system and players are recruited to complement them. Like Chelsea doesn't seem to be the kind of team that does that because Hayes has found a way to balance all of these players together. But then in saying that, you see a performance like what Fran Kirby did in the Conti Cup final and you're like, oh, actually, this Chelsea side revolves around Fran Kirby. She is just incredible. And I don't think it was just a result of Bristol City being Bristol City, um, you know, being second from the bottom on the FAWSL ladder, obviously not having the, the kinds of quality players that their opposition did. But it's just the way that she moves. It's the decisions that she makes on and off the ball. As you said, Harriet's her combinations with other players. Like she just seems to read the game two steps ahead of everybody else in, in a lot of ways. Um, she has all the technique down pat. She's incredibly quick. She's incredibly... Like, she just has everything for a player in that area of the field. And I'm going to continue to bang the drum. If she doesn't win player of the year in the Super League, 
I think not only me, but a lot of people are going to very rightfully complain because like she hasn't just been the centre of this resurgent Chelsea side, but she has been probably the most inspirational story of the entire competition. So yeah, she's just amazing. We've talked about her before. We can continue to talk about her. Um, I don't want to bore people, but you know, if you're not, if you're not a Fran girl, then get on board. And like, she's just the most versatile player with the way she scores and assists goals as well. Like you look at, you look back at them and I was just looking back at them again um, before. And like there's one goal where she does the hard work and forces the turnover and then chips the keeper. I mean, there's another way she combines with Sam Kerr, um, her awareness, like to know when to take on the player, when to release, when to run straight at defences. And you wouldn't know what to do if you were a defence, like with Frank Kirby running at you, because she can do all of the options. Like she's not one dimensional. She's not always going to go for the sidestep. She's not always going to look to pass it off. She's not always going to try and take you on. She has the range. She has the range, Marissa, um, to do all of those things. Like she's just such a brilliantly versatile and skillful and clever player, Sam. I think you hit that nail on the head there. She's a very, very intelligent footballer. And she just, I guess, keeps on keeping on this season. And it is worth mentioning as well in the wider context of Fran Kirby in that, Chelsea actually won that game on Mother's Day, which would be a hugely difficult day for for Fran. And I think Carly Telford had also lost her mum as well and posted um, something about it post-match. Like a very difficult day for some of those players. Um, Molly Hudson, friend of the pod, who works for the Times in the UK, actually did a really good article about this um, as someone else who's also um, lost their mum. on what the experience would have been for Frank Kirby and just on how brilliant Kirby was. Um, and I think we could, we've talked before on previous pods about all the things that Frank Kirby's been through, but that's well worth the read because she just is so resilient and so brilliant and clearly so loved by all her Chelsea teammates. And she's done it again. Like, as you said, two goals, four assists, like <laughs> hell of a player. And You'd have to think, like, given how long she spent out of the game, she's only going to get better. Like, she she can't have fully hit her straps yet, given the time she spent away. Like, how good is Fran Kirby going to get? And how frightened should all of Europe be? And the world, if that's the case. Yeah, I, I like that you brought up Mother's Day, Harrow, because I feel like Emma Hayes has sort of been a mother to Kirby and to a lot of these players as they've gone through a lot, you know, over their lives and over their careers. And at the end of the game, Emma Hayes was asked about her relationship with Fran Kirby and the kind of support that she's offered her. And she said something really lovely. You know, she said, from my end, I just persevered, even if I knew she wasn't ready for certain conversations. And I made sure when she was ready, I don't think you can underestimate the impact of losing a mum at that age. And as I have always said, being in a household of boys, I've always felt the one thing that Fran needed from me rightly or wrongly, was the maternal eye. And that was the commitment I made to myself about what I was going to do for her. The rest of it is on her. She's done all the work. I've merely stood beside her when she needed me to. And I think that is such a lovely reflection of the role that football coaches can play in the lives of footballers, not just women, but also men. You know, they're mentors. They can sometimes be stand-ins for parents They're there in a psychological and an emotional capacity as well as a training, like a physical one. 
Um, and I think that the way that Chelsea play, the way that Chelsea seem off the field, the way that they celebrate, the way that their players get along, the way that they look on social media, just everything about that environment and that culture that has been built by Emma Hayes and with Emma Hayes, I think is just such a testament to the importance of that sort of holistic approach to a footballer's life. Um, so it's a real credit to Hayes. It's a real credit to, to Kirby. It's a real credit to the club because this is something that they have been working on for years and years and years. And they knew the potential that Kirby has always had. And they made sure that she was surrounded with the kinds of systems that allowed her to flourish. And now they're reaping the benefits of that. Not me chucking a one-man merch machine and tearing up when you read that quote, Sam. It's very beautiful. <laughs> I've got nothing to add to that because that was lovely. But um, we'll change tack now. We'll get into some boots. And there have been some boots. Um, Anna, you were particularly angry about one of our boots, so please take it away. Oh, Marissa, I, I genuinely couldn't believe this um, when I read it. Um, so to give some context, obviously the Tokyo Olympics scheduled to go ahead this year. Um, if you don't know how it works in terms of England and co, you have Team GB. Um, so the, the Team GB obviously in isn't just England, you've got some top players, especially from Scotland and Wales, that will be in the mix for that extended squad. Um, so what happened this week was they pared down the extended squad from 50 to a short list of 35. No, that's not what the boot is. These things happen in football. There's selections. It's the manner in which they did this. So to give some context, um, Birmingham lost 4-0 to Everton during the week in the FAWSL and Birmingham City goalkeeper Hannah Hampton's made three big errors in that game. Turns out um, poor Hannah Hampton, an hour and a half before kickoff in this game, gets notified that she has not made the next round of cups for the Team GB extended squad. An hour and a half before kickoff. So I think there was two players from Birmingham And then from Everton's perspective, two players got told they'd made it, two players got told they hadn't. So understandably, both managers, absolutely filthy. Carla Ward post-match, the Birmingham City coach, has absolutely ripped into the FA, justifiably. She's said that an hour and a half before kickoff, the FA decided to give her a call. The girls are going out to warm up and she's in tears. We're wondering whether to even play her. Um, The timing's absolutely ridiculous. We have a kid in floods of tears you can see that it's clearly affected it and I think the timing of it is thoughtless um Everton boss Willie Kirk basically said the same a player finding out that information two hours before kickoff is wrong in my opinion I think it's very very poor from the people who communicated it has affected our players um two have got disappointing news two players have got good news but they never let it affect them I think it's poor timing for me there's no reason why that couldn't have been communicated either later tonight or first thing tomorrow so obviously in terms of Birmingham's goalkeeper she is just the poor thing is just absolutely copped it and another point that Carla Ward's made because clearly she's absolutely incensed by it was the the timing and the sense that the FA didn't consider it based on the clubs that were playing that day she said you're not going to get it happening to Man City before Champions League night 
but it's okay to deliver news to players from both sides an hour and a half before kickoff when it's Birmingham versus Everton. So it's a bit of a haves and have nots, one treatment for some, another treatment for others sort of thing for Ward. And I can't imagine Kirk would have thought any different either. It's just so insensitive, isn't it? Like, what an absolute nightmare. Like, how do you, like, how does someone not just step up or just think, oh, hang on, Everton, Birmingham, aren't they playing tonight? Maybe, oh, maybe we should just hold off until tomorrow and just let those girls know then. Maybe let's not put the squad out today. Maybe we can put it out in the morning. Like, how, how are you just so blinded by your own schedules and timing that you don't consider what these players are doing or what's going on for them? Like, how has someone not thought, oh, what's, uh, what's Hannah Hampton up tonight? Uh, up to tonight. Do you reckon she'll be right to handle this news? Oh, oh, you're playing tonight. Oh, well, you know, good luck for your game. <laughs> like, how, how is anyone meant to play well after getting that sort of news, like an hour and a half, two hours before? I, I don't know. Like, the FA ended up issuing an apology. Um, but let's be honest. I mean, they've said... We apologise to the players and clubs concerned and we'll also do so personally. The timing of the correspondence was an error, but we take full responsibility for the upset. This is cool. Just as with so many of our boots, you look at it and you go, this is so avoidable, wasn't it? Like, this is not a hard thing to get right. <laughs> You'd have known how you were going to trim down your squad, I imagine, for quite a while. Maybe just have a little bit of consideration, especially when there's girls who are playing on the same team that night where two of them know that, from an evidence perspective, two of them know that they're going to be, you know, in contention for Team GB and two of them know they're not. Like, it just is thoughtless all around, to be honest. And at a professional level, unfortunately, it's just not good enough. A big boot from me. Just to add to that, um, like a lot of the players who were cut were quite young and they probably have never really experienced something like this before. And like the example of Hampton, I think, is a good um, a good sort of symbol of the, the other kinds of experiences that a lot of younger players would have had in this moment. Because like she she did go out and have a pretty performance, and you can imagine that every goal she conceded that game, she probably would have internalized the message from Team GB, being like, "Oh, of course I'm shit. They turned me down. Of course I'm terrible. Of course I let this goal in because I'm crap." You know, like that is that's the kind of moment that can lead to developing a really negative, almost kind of toxic cycle of, um, of sort of a sort of a mind frame that can derail a person's entire career. You know, these are 20 year old women who are some, in some cases being thrust into the deep end of this sort of stuff and they're having to deal with the kinds of forces and pressures of being in a fully professional league for the first time. They're, you know, all the eyes of the world are on them. Their own expectations are so high. Their own family's expectations are so high. Their team's expectations of them are so high as well because they're in the conversation at all. And then having all of this stuff just crumble in upon you in the space of a couple of hours you know, I hope that Hannah Hampton and a lot of the other players who are affected by it are actually like offered help and some psychological support by club staff because of all of this. And I think that, I think Birmingham said that they have and Everton said that they have offered them help. But even at not 
even like if you don't look at that end of the scale, like these are professional athletes. Why are you calling them an hour and a half, two hours before they have a game? Like you just shouldn't be calling them about anything. Like you shouldn't be calling them about, unless it's related to the game they're playing that night or unless you, you know, your close family and friends or whatever. If you're a coach at national team level, maybe call them out their game that, that night. But what are you doing? <laughs> Make, like just making calls about something that's not related to their game, like that close to it. Like, because some players do like to really get in the zone. Like they're usually, if they're not at the ground, they're probably on their way to the ground or they're partway through their match day routine. Like, beyond the actual context of what was in those phone calls, why are you timing it like that? It just, it just indicates that they haven't even, I guess, looked at what these players are doing, Like they haven't even looked at their schedules. Like, do you not know that Birmingham Everton game is happening? Like it's, it's just extraordinary for so many reasons to me that this situation has happened. Also, there's an e-calendar, like, Download the e-calendar. It's great. They update it immediately. Why? Do, what? What? I've Why just... don't you read your own e-calendar, FA? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That That's sort of, yeah, that's why it's like sort of, yeah, inexcusable. Um, and, yeah, going sort of going off what you've said, Sam and Anna, um, like the message, yeah, even if um, Hannah Hampton wasn't 20 years old, it would still not be a positive conversation and it would still, I imagine, be a difficult process for an athlete of any age to go through that. So, yeah, a collective, yes, big collective boot from everyone on this one. Um, and just speaking from personal experience as well, like professional athletes probably have a lot more systems in place to deal with these difficult decisions, but it's, yeah, it's always going to be hard, no matter the level of like the age of rubbish. That's obviously going in, but um, yeah, rejection, bad. Time your rejections better, FA. All right. Um, so a quick boot from me to arson. Didn't think I would ever be booting arson, but um, Everton's, Everton Women's Stadium was set alight and part of some scaffolding and one of the um, stands was damaged by a deliberately lit fire. So they're hopeful that the game against Chelsea midweek will still go ahead at the stadium, but setting fire to, a, to anything deliberately, but least of all a ground, don't boot. Why? Anyway, so that, that's a, a small boot from me. And then um, we had an injury boot from the Conti Cup as well that we didn't really touch on. Sam? Yeah, the, you know, after the sort of the lovely heartwarming chat about Kirby and Chelsea, uh, one of the, the things that marred their Conti Cup win over Bristol was a, a pretty serious injury to Marin Mielder. Um, in the sort of the, the closing five or ten minutes, uh, she went into a, a pretty innocuous challenge uh, against a Bristol City player um, and went down screaming and clutching at her knee. Um, a lot of people were really, <laughs> really shocked by it. Uh, she was surrounded by teammates. They had to bring the, uh, the stretcher out for her. She was on the green whistle. It was a whole thing. Um, so we didn't know uh, what the diagnosis was, but Mielda posted a tweet um, earlier today, being today being Tuesday, 
Um, unfortunately, she says, my season has come to an end. The good news is that my knee injury isn't as bad as it might have seemed. I will have to undergo surgery, but if everything goes to plan, I will be back with the team in the summer. Uh, so hopefully from that message, it means it's not uh, an ACL. Hopefully it, it means that it's not a leg break um, and that she will be able to bounce back relatively soon. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a great way to end what was a pretty great day for Chelsea. Um, and hopefully Mielder is, is back sooner rather than later. A boot to that, but uh, how good to the Chelsea team really kind of getting behind her, you know, holding up her shirt during the trophy presentations and stuff. It was, again, we spoke about it before, that real bond that this Chelsea side seemed to have kind of came to the fore in that. But since I said how good, let's do some how goods. Uh, Angela, you can kick us off with a how good. Again, staying on brand this week. What's she going to talk about? Oh, Michelle Heyman, shocking. Um, so this is a real cute, how good. And it's also on brand, on, on theme for this season. Um, so Michelle Heyman's teammate, Emma Ilioski, who is 18 years old, um, posted one of those throwback photos. So I'm, I tried to date this in my brain based on the kit. And I think that this is a photo from like the 2015 16 Cambria United season um and Emma would probably have been about like 10 or 11 when this was taken and she's just cheesing it up she's meeting Michelle Heyman obviously stoked and a massive fan and now they're playing alongside each other and she was playing in the match where Michelle Heyman broke that incredible record and it's just uh, I love it it's very cute how good so good. The best, the best recurring how good of this entire podcast. I'm, I'm calling it. Harrow, what did, what was your how good for this week? I feel like all we've been talking about is Chelsea and Sam Kerr and Emma Hayes today. So why not continue in the theme? Um, Sam actually picked up on this one. Uh, in the wake of Sam Kerr ripping out the cartwheel and backflip um, for the first time. As a Chelsea player, Kara actually said she was a bit tired after the last game, so didn't know if she could pull it off. And then her, her teammates were like, go on, backflip, backflip. And, and she's pulled it out after the second goal. Someone not so impressed, though, Emma Hayes, um, gets asked about it after the match. And she says, I'm shaking my head because I've waited 12 months for that. The second half of the flip was very sloppy. It would have been a 4.0 at the Olympics. Cop that, Sam Kerr. Not everyone's so impressed with your little backflip. Emma Hayes certainly wasn't. Really brought her back down to earth, didn't she? But we love that from Emma Hayes. We talked about how great she is, and part of that is her sense of humour. And um, she does love a, a little witty comment from time to time, keeping the fun in football. So Emma Hayes keeping Sam Kerr's backflipping feet firmly on the ground. How good. So good and absolutely stone cold from Emma Hayes, but it was magnificent. Sam, how good from you? So capping off uh, the the sort of the lovely chats we've had about camaraderie and team culture, we saw two different initiatives organised in the W League this round in terms of T-shirts. 
uh, t-shirts supporting a particular player. Uh, so the first one was from uh, Brisbane Raw. We saw the Raw Corps, fantastic. Shout out to the Raw Corps who organized a fabulous tribute for Claire Polkinghorn, notching her 150th game for the club. Uh, they organized a special t-shirt for her and all the players wore it and the club shouted them out as well. It was fabulous. And in uh, the Melbourne City game, we saw the, the players walk out in t-shirts supporting Rebecca Stott, who we mentioned in the last pod um, has been diagnosed with cancer. And so they had shirts designed saying, we are with you, Stotty. So sort of bring to light uh, what she's going through. And in our socials, we'll include the link to the world's greatest shave page that Rebecca Stott has set up uh, in order to um, sort of support the cause. Uh, and I've donated to it. I know everyone here has donated to it. It's a really fantastic initiative and it's great to see the Melbourne City girls still getting around to her, even though she doesn't play for them anymore. So yeah, you know, the camaraderie, community, the dub, how good. So, so good. Uh, Stoddy's fundraiser at the moment sits at $14,344.15. So that is a lot of money and uh, every bit helps. Don't feel like, oh, but I can only give 10 bucks. That's 10 extra bucks. So don't look at other people's donations. Like if you can give, do it. Because as Sam said, we've all gotten behind it and it's just, it's nice to be able to, you know, do something kind of, tangible but um it's a good round of how goods from us and it was a good pot if I do say so myself um thank you so much for tuning in remember you can catch us on espn.com.au you can find us on the ESPN app you can download it wherever you download your apps and you can find us in all the usual spots Apple Spotify Google leave your reviews and your ratings we've got a couple more and it's just it's nice so please if you if you like what we're doing then let us know basically um if you want to get in contact with us we're at the far post pod on all social media and yeah until next week see us <laughs>